Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This past summer, we served in Galveston with the junior high students at a place uh, with an organization called Galveston Urban Ministries. And this summer, they had interns. Uh, One of those interns attended Sam Houston State University and went by the name Pringle. That's it, Pringle. He went by the name Pringle. Uh, And I honestly don't remember his actually given name. Uh, So cool. And so he went by the name Pringle, and he was in a fraternity at Sam Houston State. And in that fraternity, once you leave that fraternity, one of the identifying marks of being a part of that certain fraternity was that you bore a brand on your skin. And if you're thinking like, oh, yeah, so like they get a stamp, like a brand. No, 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 false. Like, you know how they brand animals? Yeah, they were going to do that to this cat's arm. They were going to brand him with some kind of logo to make, to, to, so that everyone would know this guy is a kappa or a sigma or whatever Greek letter he was a part of. It, whatever, you know. But you get, you get the, the brand was an identifying mark to the people that he belonged to. It was the identifying mark for the community or the group or the people that he belonged to. Now, why do I tell you that? Because we're going to start a series, and for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at this section of scripture in Matthew chapter 5, called the Beatitudes. And what they are, are identifying marks of those who live in the kingdom of God. They're not physical marks, but characteristics of those that live in the kingdom of God. You can think about it like this. They are characteristics of people who follow Christ. They are characteristics of those that would say, I'm a Christian. These are the identifying marks of those that live in the kingdom of God. It's identifying marks of what Christians ought to be. Thus, the title. So, if you've got your Bibles open and ready, we're going to read Matthew chapter 5. Starting in verse 1, I'll read through verse 4. Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them sayings, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So now you might be thinking in this moment, as I said to you that these are identifying marks of those who would say that they are Christ followers, identifying marks of those who live in the kingdom of God, not just those who say that they are Christ followers, but those who are Christ followers. These are identifying marks of those who live in the kingdom of God. And so if you're here, if you're a Christian, it's an easy connect. Okay, so we're just, these are going to help us. They're going to remind us of who it is that we are, and for that matter, will be, because these are a current identity of of us and a future promise. They are currently realized, but more fully will will one day more fully be realized in glory when the kingdom of God is fully established on earth. So for the Christian, as they listen to this series, you're like, okay, this makes sense. But what if you're here and you're not a Christ follower? What if you're here and you're just checking this thing out? What if you're here and you got big questions? What if you're here and you're angry at God and you're just like, I am not a Christian. I'm here because my friends are here and this is whatever, but I'm not a Christian. How is this series going to make sense for me? Well, here's the deal. I hope you would stick around because what I hope you see as we move through Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12, is that it would challenge you to see that there is no better life than life in the kingdom of God. 
That's the challenge for you if you're in here and you're not a Christian. It's that you would be challenged to see there's no better life than life in the kingdom of God. And so we look at these first few marks of a citizen of the kingdom of God here in Matthew chapter 5. Here's the main idea that we ought to get in our bones. That those who would enter the kingdom of God, those who live in the kingdom of God, must be those who recognize their inability to get themselves into the kingdom of God and mourn their inability to do it on their own. I'll say it again. Those who would enter or live in the kingdom of God must be those who recognize their inability to get themselves into the kingdom and mourn the fact that they are unable to get in the kingdom by themselves. And so how these are structured are this. Jesus says, blessed or blessed, maybe you've heard it like that. Blessed are who? Because why? That's how all of them are structured. Blessed are who? Because why? It's going to be blessed are fill in the blank for fill in the blank. That's how all these will be structured. That's how all these will be laid out. And that's how we'll treat them over the next few weeks together. So who is blessed? What are the characteristics of those who live in the kingdom of God? Here's the first one. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you're thinking as we roll through these, Jesus is identifying people that are blessed that I would not identify as the blessed ones. That's because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. That's because Jesus' kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. But I think we'll understand why they're blessed here in a minute. So he first says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So the first question that we ought to ask is, who is the poor in spirit and what does it mean? Who is the poor in spirit and what does it mean? Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, 10 through 12 helps us out. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, that poor in spirit is this. It is those who recognize that left to themselves, they have an inability to be what God desires them to be because of the sin in their life. Those who are poor in spirit are those who recognize that they have an inability to be what God desires them to be because of the sin in their life. And it leaves them, that sin in their life leaves them in need. Maybe you could say it leaves them in poverty, in spiritual poverty. They are laid bare before God. They are spiritually bankrupt before God. A payment is demanded and they have nothing to offer. In fact, they are only occurring more and more debt because of their sin. And that's identifying you and I. Poor in spirit. 
And maybe you think, as I read through Romans chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2, and I say that they were dead and they were following the course of this world, they were like by nature children of wrath, and you hear things like that, and you think, I don't think I'm that bad. The issue with that is, you're probably comparing to the wrong thing. You're probably not that bad when you compare yourself to your friends. You're like, yeah, this cat, he's a moron, so I'm comparing myself to him, and I'm not so bad at the end of the day. There's this girl in my school, and I don't do what she does. I don't say what she says, so I'm not really that bad. As you compare yourself to those around you, you might not be so bad, but that's not what God's expectation is. God's comparison is from us to himself, and he's perfect. And so when we compare ourselves to perfect God, we find ourselves in trouble. Maybe we find ourselves in need. Maybe we find ourselves poor, incapable of fixing our situation because of our sin. What else does he say? Jump down to verse 4. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he jumps down to verse 4. Who else is blessed? Verse uh, four says, blessed are those who mourn. Why would this person, why would an identifying mark of someone who is a Christian be those who mourn? Because they have realized I'm poor in spirit. I'm sinful before a holy God and I'm mourning that sin because I hate it. That I'm separated from God and I cannot fix it myself. So who is mourning? All of those who have sinned. Psalm 51 helps us out. Psalm 51, 1 through 4. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Check this out, verse 4. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David sins against God by going and taking a woman named Bathsheba whose husband is in battle. His name is Uriah. And he essentially murders Uriah in order to get away from the actual consequences of the scenario. And he's convicted and he is mourning his sin because he sinned against God. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. What are they mourning over? The fact that they are poor in spirit. The fact that they have sinned against God. But that's not how he finishes the statements. The characteristics of the blessed ones are those that are poor in spirit and those who mourn. But that's not the result What's the result of having these characteristics? What's the result of realizing and identifying that you're poor in spirit? What's the result of actually mourning over your sin? Because there's a difference in me saying, look, you're sinful. You're sinful, so you're poor in spirit. And, and you actually understanding you are poor in spirit before God. There's a big difference. There's a difference in saying you ought to mourn your sin because you've sinned against God and actually mourning your sin. Jesus is identifying the person that actually identifies that they're poor in spirit and actually does mourn their sin. So then what's the result of the person that actually does identify that they're poor in spirit and actually does mourn their sin? Look back at verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, to those who identify and realize that they are spiritually bankrupt before God, you know what they get? Access to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, these are the only kind of people that get access to the kingdom of heaven. Only those who come saying, God, I have nothing for you to offer. In fact, I am spiritually bankrupt. I am only occurring more debt before you, God, because I am sinful. I am, like Ephesians 2 says, a child of wrath, God. I have rejected you. I am not good enough. The best I could bring before you would not be good enough. I cannot stand before you, God, because you're holy and I am not. To that person, Jesus says, Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And if you're thinking, how could that be? How could a spiritually poor person, bankrupt, sinful before God, how could God say, yours is the kingdom of heaven? Well, let's think about it like this. What does a person in poverty need? A person in poverty needs someone outside of them to come in Help them. Maybe we could say it like this. A person in poverty needs somebody who has riches to give them, to get them out of poverty. That's what a person in poverty needs. A person in poverty needs somebody with riches to get them out of that poverty. Check this out. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 9. So we read the first three verses of Ephesians. It's pretty bad. We're dead, children of wrath. Following the course of the world, we've rejected God. Verse 4. But God, being what? Rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast God responds to our spiritual poverty with his grace in riches. You know what you need in your poverty? You need someone to give you riches to get you out of that poverty. So you know what God does? He pours out the riches of his grace and the riches of his mercy. The only way that you get out of your spiritual poverty is by God pouring out the riches of his grace and he has done it in his son on the cross. So how is it that the spiritually impoverished, how is it that the poor in spirit get the kingdom of heaven? Because God gave us his riches by sending his son to die so that all who believe would enter the kingdom of heaven. So the poor in spirit are blessed because they get the kingdom of heaven. The people who we thought would be unlikely to be blessed, they are blessed according to Jesus because they get the kingdom They get the kingdom. And in fact, there's no other way into the kingdom but through Jesus. Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says it like this. He, that's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and check this out, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of his sins. There's no other way into that kingdom but through 
Jesus. Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We are spiritually poor. We're poor in spirit. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own, own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The only way out of our spiritual poverty is through Jesus. So if you're in here and you're claiming to be a Christ follower, what you are claiming is, I was spiritually bankrupt before God. And he poured out the riches of his grace in his son's death and resurrection from the dead. And the only way that I get into the kingdom of heaven is through Jesus. And that's it. Not through your effort, not through your achievement, not through your family, not through your actions, not through any of it. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone. So if you came here and you're saying that you're a Christ follower because you have boasted it in your effort before God, it is worthless. In fact, God is not pleased or impressed with your effort. God is pleased with Jesus in your place. All you need to do is trust Jesus. That's why the gospel is so good. Because the gospel is, you couldn't do it. In fact, you can't. And Jesus did it in your place. So come and believe and live in the kingdom. That's not the only blessing that he gives, though. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Well, why? Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn for or because they shall be comforted. Those who mourn shall be comforted. Remember what I said they're mourning. They're mourning their sin. They're looking at their sin before a holy God saying, I hate this. I don't want this. I want to get away from this, but I can't. I can't fix it in me. But God in his kindness has sent a solution in Jesus. Jesus has come and lived perfectly where you were supposed to be perfect, died where you were supposed to die. He paid your debt and he went to the grave and got up from the dead because he's the victorious king. And now to all who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they're saved. They have a clean slate. Their sin has been washed away. So the sin that they mourned has now been erased. And so guess what you receive? You receive comfort. You receive comfort because your sin has been dealt with on the cross. To those who mourn their sin, you don't have to sit in your mourning. You can come and receive comfort by believing Jesus. You don't have to stay in your mourning. You can come and receive comfort by believing Jesus. This is where this comfort comes from. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17 says this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Did you catch it? Now the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal, what's the word? Comfort. The only place that you're going to find the comfort that you're looking for from the sin that is causing your mourning is Jesus. You will try to run everywhere else to fix it, and it won't fix it. You, you will feel the angst in you. You, will know, you probably don't need me to prove to you that you have sin in your life. You're well aware of how wicked you are, and you're well aware that you don't even like it. 
You're like, something is wrong with me and I don't know how to fix it. So I just try to be better and I still know that's not good enough. So what you end up doing is you run to all kinds of crazy places to find comfort. You run to yourself. You're like, okay, I'm just going to pick myself up by my bootstraps. I'm just going to be good. I'm going to be good. And then three days go by and you're like, wow, I'm really bad at being good. So you're like, okay, you know what? In order to comfort me, in order to comfort me in all this chaos, I'm just going to find a relationship to distract me from it. I'm going to get a boyfriend. I'm going to get a girlfriend. I'm going to do what it takes. And we're just like, you know, we're going to go down whatever road we need to go down. I'm going to say I love you really early. I'm going to put it like in my Instagram bio the day we started dating so that everybody knows that I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and that really matters to me. And I'm going to get this relationship and it's going to comfort me. And then he or she bails on you or says something dumb or they talk about you behind their back or they dump you after four days because they don't know how to have a relationship at 13. And the comfort that you were looking for in your mourning didn't work. But maybe you don't run to a relationship. Maybe you just run to like resources. If I could just get enough money, like money will make me comfortable. Like I have all these problems. It's fine, but I'm just going to, I'm going to get a job one day. I'm going to make tons of money because life is so much easier when you have tons of money. False. Talk to Solomon about it. Go read the book of Ecclesiastes. Richest man to ever live. Like made Bill Gates look like a child. And it wasn't enough because he was looking to money and stuff to give him comfort that it was never meant to give. But maybe it's not yourself or relationships or resources. Maybe you just look to pleasure. Maybe you just look to, if I could just do whatever makes me feel good, however I want to do it. So I'll do, the, I'll do drugs. I'll do whatever it is with him or her. I will go to, to this thing. I will chase this adrenaline rush. I will do whatever it takes just to feel the pleasure that I'm looking for. That will give me the comfort from the chaos in me. But it's never enough. Because maybe you used substance, maybe you used alcohol, maybe you used drugs. And for one time it was all right. And the next time you needed more. And maybe you pushed the limits physically with him or her. And it felt okay one time, but the next time you wanted to push the boundaries a little bit further because it wasn't quite enough. And on and on that keeps playing out. Because you're looking to pleasure to provide you comfort that it was never meant to provide you. And maybe it's not any of those things. Maybe it's achievement. Maybe you're just like, you know what I love? I love being the man on the field. I, I'm going to chase varsity. And when I get it, that will be everything that I need. And I'll get a letter jacket, and I'll get a patch on that letter jacket, and then like, like it's going to say all state on it. And it's going to have a Bible verse in the banner because I'm a Christian, obviously. And I, I'm going to get like bars on the letter like jacket because people are going to know that I lettered like three years in a row on varsity because I'm just that good. And I'm going to wear the letter jacket out. Like I'm just going to wear, it's going to be 95 outside. I'm going to even wear my letter jacket so folks know I'm the man. I'll roll up the sleeves though because I know it's hot. It's fine. And it won't be enough. Because what you thought was the top will then become weird when you graduate high school and you try to put on your letter jacket your freshman year in college. And it's like, hey man, don't do that because you're in college now. Or maybe it's not achievement in sports, maybe it's achievement with grades. You're like, I'm chasing 
a 5.0 because I'm in 14 AP classes, and so I'm going to graduate with a 5.0. You just watch. I'm going to do it. And so you just enslave yourself to that stuff. You will sacrifice whatever actual commitment you need to be at. Like, you will sacrifice relationship with God. You will sacrifice living in community by coming to church. You will sacrifice friendships. You will sacrifice relationship with people that really matter in your life because I've just got to do this. Like, I've got, I've, got, I've got four quizzes tomorrow that really don't matter for my grade, but I need to get an A because I need everybody to know that I'm the smartest person on the planet. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to do this because I have to get a 5-0. Because I have to get a 5 to get into this certain university. I need to get into that certain university because, well, that's just what everybody said I need to do. And I want everybody to think that I'm the smartest person on the planet. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to achieve these grades. And it won't be enough. Because there will always be somebody smarter. And you'll look to that kind of stuff. And you'll look to that achievement. Maybe in sports. Maybe in school. Maybe in whatever arena. Maybe in band. Maybe I don't know but you'll chase achievement to give you the comfort that it was never meant to give you. Because the chaos that you feel and the comfort that you desire is because of sin in your life. And the only way that you can receive comfort for sin is by trusting the one who fixes it, and that's Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall receive comfort from the only source that actually gives you that comfort, Jesus. So I don't know where you are, but hopefully these questions that I'm going to ask you will help you identify that. Here's some questions to ask yourself. First thing is this. Have you identified that you're spiritually in need because of your sin against God? Do you identify yourself as spiritually in need because of your sin against God? Or do you think, actually... I feel like I'm a pretty good guy. I feel like I'm a pretty good girl. Like, I think God's mostly impressed by me. I sin a little bit, you know, but who doesn't? It's fine. I stay away from the big ones, though. Whatever that is. Or do you identify? Like Ephesians 2 says, that apart from God, we're dead. And dead people aren't kind of good. Dead people are dead people. And we need somebody to make us alive. Next question. Have you mourned the sin in your life? Have you mourned over the sin in your life and your need for God to comfort you? Do you look at your sin and hate it? And I'm not saying mourning like you just beat yourself up like, I'm terrible, I'm just the scum of the earth, I'm trash. That's not what I'm saying. But do you see your sin before a holy God and think, man, I, I, I hate this, I need a solution for this, and I'm helpless apart from you, God. Do you mourn sin like that? Or do you make excuse for it? Do you say it's not that bad? Do you say I couldn't help it? Do you say nobody was really hurt by it? It's fine. Because according to Jesus, those that live in the kingdom of God mourn their sin. They mourn their sin. They don't make excuse for it. Third question, have you trusted Jesus as the only one to meet your need for comfort and and provide you the comfort you're looking for and needing? Have you trusted Jesus to bring you into the kingdom? 
Have you trusted Jesus to provide the comfort in the morning of your sin? Or have you just said, I'm not really that bad, and I think I got this. I think I'll be good. Have you trusted in yourself? Have you trusted in your family? My family goes to church, so I'm a Christian. Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn, those that identify, I need Jesus. There's no other way. So who does Jesus say to be? He says that those that are Christians, those who live in the kingdom, ought to be those that are poor in spirit. And those that are mourning, that they mourn their sin. They're bankrupt before God. They mourn because of it. And their response is to turn to the one who has riches of grace and gives comfort. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? So what I said about Christians and non-Christians regarding this series, I hope is what you would think about in this moment. If you're a Christian, if you're legitimately identifying, hey, I am a Christ follower, like I have identified that I'm spiritually bankrupt before God and he is the only, through Jesus is the only way to God and I have mourned my sin and he has brought comfort through his death and resurrection, then what I hope that these sermons do is only remind you of who you are and what you will gain in the future and stir you up to worship and say, God, you have been so kind to me. That's what it should do. You shouldn't, you shouldn't just be even with this. It ought to just stir up excitement, gratitude, thankfulness, such that you worship. And if you're in here and you're thinking, you know what? Those things don't identify me. So I don't think I'm in the kingdom of God. I don't think that I'm a Christian. In fact, I want life in the kingdom because I believe that there is no better life than life in the kingdom. Cade, how do I get life in the kingdom? Here's the way. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you'll be saved. And you get life in the kingdom. Identify that you're spiritually bankrupt before God. You're poor in spirit. Mourn your sin. Trust Jesus and gain the kingdom of heaven and the comfort that you're looking for. If you've got questions about that, then the action step for you is when we start to sing, you grab the friend that brought you and say, let's go outside, I need to ask you a question. Or you come to the back and you grab me and you say, can we step outside, I need to ask you a question. And here's the question that you need to ask. How do I get access to the kingdom? How do I get access to the kingdom? 